0: Have you ever lost a loved one to disease? Do you know someone with cancer or a terminal illness? Why is it considered normal to die of a heart attack or cancer these days? Why is one in 50 children autistic? Why are disease and illness the norm? Surely this isn't the way it's supposed to be. What if our bodies had everything they needed to heal themselves? And what if we could not only live a long life, but a life full of health and vitality and happiness? It really is not a pipe dream. Many cultures, even today, live longer on average than we do in America. But what's more, these people are typically active until their last few weeks or months and virtually disease-free when they do die. Why? What do they know that we don't? Well, our guest today, Dr. John Apsley, is a best-selling author, physician, researcher on regenerative medicine and nutrition. And, Doctor, you're going to share with us some of your amazing findings on what our bodies need to live longer, healthier, and happier. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio.
1: Well, thank you, Teresa, and I certainly am. We're uh, we're ready to go for your great audience today.
0: Oh, well, awesome. So what's up with America and our health system and our lack of good health? We spend, compared to most other countries, more on our health, or are we spending more on health care than anyone else? Why is it not working?
1: Well, we have several different factors um, that collide together. It starts with the lack of minerals that are in our soils, and then it culminates into environmental toxins that have been inundating us since the 1950s. We have a collision of um, small amounts of radioactivity, both natural-sourced and man-made sourced, that exacerbate environmental pollutions by approximately tenfold, and then we have the environmental uh, toxins that are responsible for up to 90% of all cancers here in this country if you include uh, tobacco smoking. And so when you look at what the US Surgeon General stated in 1988, 67% of all disease is diet-linked, stems from the diet. He was referring to two aspects. He was referring to both the lack of nutrients in the diet as well as to the contaminants in the diet, and uh, this is extremely politically incorrect to, uh, to many industries. And what I find to be most sad and also fascinating is how many of the top-notch professionals that work at the government institutes that specialize in uh, preventive medicine or environmental issues that won't write their real truthful books until after they retire because they fear losing their jobs if they were to alert the public as to what was really going on. So that's what's really going on here in America.
0: My listeners uh, on Living Wealthy Radio are familiar with an ongoing theme, which is those in government, right? It's really a revolving door between those in government and private industry and, like, the FDA, right, and and those in uh, high positions of the FDA. It's a revolving door. They get... They get positions in private industry supporting the very policies that seem to be really against Americans' health. You mentioned a couple of things that's very interesting. You said that there is a lack of nutrients and contaminants that's in our food, so the food supply lacks the nutrients but also has contaminants. Is that not true in other countries?
1: To, to, a, to a, a great extent in the developed countries, it is also true. For example, if you, look, you take a step back and just look at all environmental sources of disease, you're talking about the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat together. And that is responsible for up to 90% of all cancers in this country and likely most of the chronic degenerative disease as well. As I said, in 1988, 7% of it could be directly linked to the diet alone. In other countries, there are some differences. For example, in this country, um, you you can draw strong support that the diet and the nutrients in the diet or the lack thereof or the contaminants in the diet, such as GMO foods, such as pesticide residues in the foods, such as uh, radiation in small amounts that's present in our, water, in our drinking water and our foods and our milk contributes to the, the bulk of what happens. But the other problem with it is, is that we pollute more in this country than most of the other countries combined, or just about. For example, we started having some serious toxic heavy metal issues with industry spewing it into our air, water, and food beginning in the nineteen. 19- Fifties, 1951, 1952, when also the heavy metals that were radioactive started being spewed about through the above-ground nuclear testing that was going on out in Nevada, that never goes away. So if those toxic metals, either non-radioactive or radioactive, never go away, they just recycle in our food chain, you can see that as they are added to each year, year after year after year and they increase in amounts they don't decrease for the most part we're in real trouble and then the FDA and other EPA agencies will claim credit for just dealing with one of the issues like lead because they were able to successfully and thank god for it take lead out of our gasoline but it's just a small piece of the of the of the pie when you consider that there are just multiples and multiples of this. In, in stark contrast, the longest-lived cultures all live in pristine environments, and so they have that going for them that we have to protect ourselves from, and fortunately that's something we can do within the confines of our own
0: homes. So you've studied these remote, remote cultures with longer and more vibrant lifespans. Tell us a little bit about your discoveries. I find that fascinating
1: yeah it it is it really is fascinating Most of them as I stated, live in very remote, pristine environments, and uh they almost all have access to unique water that is laced with trace minerals up to sixty seventy different kinds of minerals that are pulverized into a micronized form a very very tiny uh form that during the spring when it flows down from mountains uh they classically are in the foothills of mountains it looks milky white. And this is also called glacial milk. And uh, it's very interesting because almost without exception, this is true across the 30 known cultures today that still live a lot, lot longer than we do in nearly perfect health. So if you start there, you you basically have the answer in a nutshell. And basically you have the, the, the directional heading that we have to accomplish within the confines of our own homes. And uh, so with a lot of these cultures, there was a push to recognize that they had to have some special uh, ability that the normal average American didn't have, because God forbid that Americans should think that we've been really being uh, ripped off by our educational system and our medical system. God forbid that the average American could do this. So there was a push for a while to make these cultures that uh, have unique genes that cause them to live long and to prosper as they do. But uh, that doesn't hold true across all 30 of these different cultures. They're just like us. And uh, what they do have is generations upon generations of living in this pristine environment in which to perfect their system. And the cool thing about that is is that over 35 years, I've been able to distill that down to just four unique practices, what I call the four pillars of the regeneration effect within that they uh, have accomplished. And in a nutshell, that is indeed, by definition, the regenerative lifestyle we need to emulate in our own homes here in America.
0: So it is possible to emulate the factors that are allowing the people of these cultures to live longer and live healthier here in America?
1: Thank God, yes. Uh, For example, there is a small group, but a very significant group of uh, Seventh-day Adventists that actually accomplish this very thing right in the heart of Los Angeles. So if they can do it with their two arms and legs, anyone in America can can do it with their two arms and legs if we just know what to avoid and what to do.
0: Well, before we go on to this regeneration uh, or regenerative lifestyle, uh, tell us a little bit more about the people who live in these cultures. Are they in the middle of nowhere? Is this mostly in, you know, like the African uh, continent or in Asia or in Europe?
1: Well, like I said, there are uh, a few of these cultures that are right in the middle of civilization, such as the Seventh-day Adventist in, in downtown Los Angeles, near uh, Loma Linda University, for example. There are yeah. unique attributes of the uh, environment that they uh, enjoy that makes it so that we have to get a little creative to be able to accomplish it here in our homes in America. But uh, we have the Hunzikuts that are in extreme northwest Pakistan, They recently have, of course, been undergoing a severe uh, civil war up there, but uh, they still maintain some of the longest living and healthy living in the world. We also have the Abkhazians, the groups that live in the Caucasus Mountains, uh, old Soviet Georgia. They also have been riddled recently with civil war, but they also still maintain their original practices. But then we have people in Sardinia, which is an island just off of Italy, that are doing extremely well. Then we have people in Ikora, Greece, an island just off of, uh, of Greece that are doing exceptionally well. We have a small number of Okinawans uh, that are left that have maintained the traditional ways. The younger population has not, and they're at coast-level uh, um, elevation. So they, they uh, rely upon the ocean to bring them in the special minerals and uh, water systems that uh, contribute to their longevity. And then we have the Costa Ricans uh, up in Nicoya, Costa Rica, which is a volcanic mountainside uh, high altitudes uh and and these are the some of the thirty different cultures today that are still maintaining the pristine practices of their of their forefathers.
0: So it sounds like it's, you know, really all over the world, all these different cultures in different areas of the world. It's not just those that live in very cold climate or more of the, you know, tropical climate. It sounds like it's more of a lifestyle than the area where they live.
1: That's correct. It's more of a lifestyle and it's not due to some of the factors that science has been given credit to. To keep it out of the uh, good uh, hands and arms of of the average American.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So basically, what you're saying is we've got the power right here in the United States to be able to duplicate the results and the outcomes of these different cultures. Like you, we do. you, you called the Seventh Day Adventists, right? That's their own a, a culture within LA, right? That's had these results. And really, it's not just about living a long time. Uh, you know, I want to live a very long time, but only vibrantly and healthy, right? Who wants to live to be 100 in the last 10, 15 years? They live, uh, you know, in, in, in an institution or needing assistance and not having their faculties. That's certainly not the kind of lifestyle that I want.
1: Yeah, I can think of no greater curse than to live to the age of 120 and be just god-awful sick starting at the age of 60. Right. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you, you need the quality of life, and that's why that we, we need to fully understand that these people have uh, four different components to this regenerative lifestyle, one of which is they have a lasting purpose. They have a mission that they serve right up until the very uh, last few months of their life. It's, it's vital. It keeps them going.
0: Okay. So is that the first pillar? Of the four for no, the regeneration
1: no, effect, I, 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 I jumped. But uh, let's let's go over the four pillars. The the first pillar starts with detoxification, and uh, they do a daily detoxification program. And on a on a seasonal and on an annual basis, they also conduct certain kinds of fastings and uh, eating light to help purify their bodies, just about without exception. But you know, it can be accomplished in a, in a very orderly manner here in America. We just have to know how to fit it into to our daily routines. The, the second thing that they do is they get extremely well oxygenated each day. And there's some really neat systems of exercise today that we've developed here in this country that can easily accomplish that. We also are looking again at the diet, which is pillar number three. They eat very special regenerative foods. I call them colloidal regenerative factors or foods that are rich in colloidal regenerative factors, and basically, they're embryonic food sources like eggs, like nuts and seeds. Uh, those, are, those are sources of where you get these uh, special kinds of nutrients. You know, I have to tell you something funny. Not long ago, my wife uh, went to uh, Wikipedia and she saw that someone got the credit for coining the term superfoods back in the late 90s. And it was well after I had coined the term and had written about it. And the bastardization of the term superfoods is uh, due to the commercialization of superfoods. I'd, I'd like to state that I've changed that terminology for that reason because it has become bastardized to regenerative nourishment. There are superfoods that will not regenerate human beings or nor anyone else that are being, you know, commercially advertised out there and and not to take anything away from them, they're they, they're very good for people. But the term superfoods that I apparently coined much earlier meant Foods that specifically regenerate the human body, foods that were specifically the focus of these long-living and prospering cultures from around the world. And so they do come from embryonic food sources, and they are very specifically prepared. And just so that it it doesn't get confusing to your audience, it's so simple to include these in the daily routine in the way of smoothies, delicious-tasting smoothies of any kind of flavor you want that the whole family enjoys. So between the simple detoxification method of drinking up to a gallon of really good high-quality water each day to the 16- to 20-minute special kinds of exercises that we can do to super-oxygenate our body, and then the smoothie routines, we've accomplished pillars 1, 2, and 3 in like no time at all.
0: Okay, so before we go to, to pillar number four, let's talk about the, the first three real quick. So you mentioned something about daily detoxing. Does this include, like, sweating, sauna, infrared sauna?
1: Yeah. Well, yes, it does. But let's keep it simple, and then let's look at the fact that the cultures over their entire lifetimes, they do have these seasonal and annual practices of detoxification that become a little bit more intricate. They're not. They're, they're straightforward. They're, they're not complicated. Uh, they're, they're something that we can do, but we have to set some time aside in order to do it. So, for the average American who wants to start this right away, it can be as simple as drinking very high quality water that's alkaline, it's mineral rich, up to about an ounce per pound. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, about an ounce per pound of body weight. So, if you weigh 150 pounds. You want to drink about 150 ounces of this high quality water each day and for right now for the purposes of this show we can say that this really gets your detoxification pillar the you know the first essential pillar off to the races and now the second part is there are certain kinds of exercises uh, now i love half the yoga or physical yoga this accomplishes by the way both pillar one I'm sorry, both pillar two to super oxygenate the body, but also pillar four. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, it, with, with the types of knots and tensions and stresses that we translate into our body, it resides mostly in our musculature, mostly in, our, in the knots that we get hit with in the shoulders, if someone grabs you and starts rubbing it, you go oh oh because of all the daily tension we do with uh, our kinds of daily routines. Well, physical yoga is great for stretching into different parts of the body where all of this tension has been recorded and it's been blasted into it and it's been fortified and refortified and refortified again, and none of it gets any oxygen. It's just too darn tight. So physical yoga. Uh, is a great way to uh, to get you know that routed out, but it takes a little longer to practice than than sixteen or twenty minutes a day. And uh, so I, I don't start with that. I say let's start feeling really good, and then if you want to, you can add in some physical yoga a few times a week because it it'll it'll change your life. But with the the way to work yourself into this, there is a kind of exercise program. It could be walking, it could be swimming. It could be low impact on a, uh, on a treadmill uh, or a rebounder, a little tiny trampoline, where you, a- after you're a bit in shape, that you exercise intensely for about 30 seconds, and then you completely rest for 90 seconds. And then you do that routine eight times. And that is equivalent to about two hours of, a, of normal, everyday, usual exercise aerobic exercise. It burns the same amount of calories, it floods the system with oxygen, and it's just super duper. I like to add a little bit of oxygen to that while I'm doing that kind of exercise. This comes from research done by a PhD in biophysics who determined that cancer patients, after they've received either chemotherapy or radiation therapy, their tissues have been permanently lowered with the amount of oxygen that's saturating into their body. And this is bad news because it tends to want to, uh, to grow new cancer as a result. The, the story goes that the Nobel Prize winner Otto Warburg back in the 50s showed that all you had to do with normal healthy tissue was to lower its consumption of oxygen uh, by about a third, and it would automatically start growing cancer. So by God, what we're doing with our conventional uh, treatments for cancer is we're causing the body to become permanently injured in its ability to absorb oxygen into the body. And thank God for this biophysicist who found out, he discovered that by doing exercise with oxygen added, it will permanently reverse that condition if you do it every other day for 18 treatments. So in about a month's time, you can cause massive amounts of oxygen to penetrate all the cells of the body, like that of a baby. Uh, what I like to say here to the audience is, before we get into the next, into this coming up break, is that all of this can be accomplished within the first hour of each day. It's not a big deal. We can we can put this into our day, and that by doing it for a total of four months, which is 120 days, that means. That our cells in our body, almost all of them, almost all of them, have had a chance to replicate and to replace the old ones, the aged ones. And so, if we do that over four months with these four pillars, the regenerative lifestyle, we've created an incredible amount of super duper healthy cells. That I'll describe uh, after we come back from the break here, because it's uh, I have to do some math with everyone as to what power what incredible power this regeneration effect truly is within each cell of our body
0: fantastic information. Our guest today is Dr. John Apsley and we are discussing the causes of disease and illness and actually more exciting and more important is how we could reverse some of the aging and some of the health issues we've got and regenerate a new body. So we are going to take a quick break and then continue on with Dr. John Apsley. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Be right back. If you are just now joining us, we are speaking with best selling author and physician Dr. John Apsley about the health crisis in our country and how our bodies can heal themselves if given what they need. So, doctor, we were reviewing the three pillars of regeneration, and there are four of them. So, the first one was daily, seasonal, yearly detoxing, also oxygenating our, our bodies, diet. And then the fourth one um, that we were going to discuss. Anything you want to you mention before we go to the fourth pillar?
1: Sure. Uh, just to give the hard science behind it, we, we have uh, to just look at what happens inside each one of our cells. Very straightforward, and it's backed up by very, very hard science. If we look at our cells when we're the most healthy, there are those in America that are going to be the healthiest that they will ever be at about the age 25. And so looking at an average 25-year-old who is in really good shape in America, they're going to have no less than 100,000 injuries into their genetic core in each of their 75 billion human cells. 75 trillion, excuse me, 75 trillion human cells. Some people play with that number a little bit. They say, oh, you've only got 10 trillion human cells. Others say, no, it's closer to 75 trillion. So so bear with me. So the math is that every day, the healthiest of us receive 100,000 injuries to our genetic core in each of our 75 trillion human cells. And what's so miraculous?
0: The daily injury in 100,000 is daily? I'm sorry? The the 100,000 injuries is daily?
1: Is daily. Is daily. That's correct. And so what's... What's really cool about this is, and I found it to be what, what motivated me to do a lot of what I do, to do it this way, to teach it this way, to practice it this way, is that at the age of 25, when we're really healthy, we repair all of those mistakes within 24 hours. Now, imagine this, imagine a culture of human beings that maintains that rate of repair, that protects and feeds and facilitates in every way possible that mechanism within us of self-repair until they're 90 to 95 to even 100 years of age. That's how they do it. And nobody is studying it. We know that it's there. But nobody's going after it because it would completely render obsolete any of the current systems of medical practice that we use today. It would render completely obsolete preventative medicine. It would render completely obsolete allopathic medicine. It would render obsolete all of the known forms of even natural forms of healing in comparison because nothing can cause the human body to either repair that quickly with those other systems or could accomplish it from the outside in, which is the basis of how medical practice works today, is to do something from the outside so that the inside is healed. so it's it's incredible what they're doing. The other thing about this is it's incredibly cost-effective. These 30 cultures that still are extant on average, I've kind of done the, the, the math myself on this because I've looked at their cultures and how they earn a living. Um, a lot of them are sheep herders. A lot of them are farmers. A lot of them are uh, people that are small traders. And for the equivalent of about 1000 U.S. dollars a year, that's how they accomplish it on that kind of annual family budget. So so if they can do that, we can see that an entire medical system, which forms, uh, I think, what, the second largest economy in the world, is uh, is so deficient compared to these cultures that, that do it another way. So now that is what I call in a nutshell the regeneration effect within. And the, these three pillars of the four are exactly how they accomplish it. I do want to mention, and let's go back I, through I'm them I'm again here. so people can understand. I'm sorry?
0: Oh, if I could just interrupt you right there before we go to the fourth pillar because there's just so many things that we can talk about just with with what you've mentioned there. So basically what you're saying with the regeneration effect is that there's an intelligence inside of us which if given the right formula or factors or or, or certain kinds of oxygen and water and food can heal itself.
1: Yes, it's a simple daily practice. All these cultures integrate a very straightforward daily practice that deals with getting into it naturally, seamlessly, in a turnkey method, these four pillars. They detoxify, they oxygenate, they eat superfoods, and then they have mind-over-matter techniques that relieve them from the stresses. That's the fourth So
0: goal. by feeding or giving the body these four things, the body's intelligence, whether you call it, you know, the God within or, you know, if you believe in God, that God created our bodies to heal itself, right? If given the, the right formula, the healing comes from inside. It doesn't come from the, the doctors. It doesn't come from the outside in. And in fact, it's not only the allopathic or Western medicine you're talking about. You're talking about any kind of healing that's from the outside. It's not necessary. It's not needed if you give your body these uh, four things.
1: Yes. uh, And and to complete, I think, a thought that you had at the beginning, none of these long-living cultures of the 30 that we've been talking about are atheist. None.
0: How interesting is that? So they believe in a being greater than themselves that gave their bodies or inside, that, that being is inside of them that has its body's intelligence to heal.
1: Yes, in fact, their daily routines, I think I could correctly characterize as a way of practicing attunement to their supreme being. In other words, let's take a look at their eating habits. When they sit together in these huge families, starting with the most elder, who may be 110 years old, at the head of one side of the table, and at the end of the long table, sit the mothers, the young mothers, with babies in their laps, with maybe 40 or 50 people in the family, maybe 60, of great-great-great-great-grandchildren. They are celebratory as they eat. They give thanks to the creator of all things. They are emulating the powers of the higher realm. And these are very scientifically reproducible experiences that always accompany miraculous healing. Let me get into this. When you are without eyes that can see or without ears that can hear, it's very, very difficult to imagine that the long-living people have no idea what it is that we're doing with our lives, that it's so foreign to them. It's so mysterious to them, it's so inconceivable to them about how we can rape and pillage the earth like we do. It's inconceivable that when a neighbor winds up in trouble, that we all don't simultaneously run to help that neighbor at the drop of a coin. They all do this. So when they see us act in the narcissistic ways in which we do, or that we act as a civilization for the God Almighty dollar instead of God Almighty, it's a complete enigma to them. They can't put their arms around it. It's It's a mystery. So they live this, breathe this, and eat this all the time that they are at one with the earth, they're at one with the powers of the creator, and they emulate this in the happiness and joy that they have at the family table. But it gets more important. It gets more real. Here's how it gets more real. The other thing I've done over the past 35 years is I've studied how miraculous healings actually do take place. And they're quite a bit different than what the average person thinks of them. Uh, first of all, they are a profound personal experience for not only the person who has a true miraculous healing, but for those in the immediate vicinity who are observing. It's not a sense door-based experience, which is, oh, I see with my eyes the object of the sick person who miraculously can get up and start walking. It's not like that. It is a profound sensation, a series of reproducible sensations that's felt by those observing. I'll give you an example. We've all had those incredibly wonderful experiences that just brings chills throughout our entire body. And these kinds of deeply impacting experiences are of four kinds, and you can you can go and you can check the literature for people that have documented this from around the world when they observe a true miraculous healing. And these are the kinds of experiences that part of the normal daily structure to many of the cultures that have any sort of proper study about them, where we can read about it and say, oh yeah, yeah, they have it too, they get it too, they, this is how they attune themselves to earth and to the creator above. Okay. So Alexis Carrel was a Nobel Prize winner in medicine because he figured out how to sew blood vessels together. And so the Rockefeller Institute here in New York wanted to hire him because they knew that someday they wanted to perfect the ability to conduct successful organ transplants. That was their goal. And so about 1902, before he came over here from France, he was an uh, anatomy professor in the medical school in Lyon, France, and uh, a friend of his said, hey, listen, um, I-, I normally go on this pilgrimage to Lourdes, this sanctuary of uh, spiritual healing that was quite famous, but I can't go this year, and could you please take my place? And Alexis Carrel had always been intellectually curious about it. He said, Sure. So he got on a particular a part of the train where there was this very ill 23-year-old Murray Bailey, who had tuberculosis filled in her stomach. She looked about seven months pregnant, and she was about ready to die at any, any moment. And so he tried to keep her stable so, for the 24-hour train ride from Lyon down to Lourdes, and uh, he barely was able to do so. She was in coma by the time they reached Lourdes. Well, they immediately brought her off and put her uh, next to where the, uh, most people were immersed into the water at Lourdes, but they couldn't with her because she was just basically too comatose and too fragile to do so. So they picked up the water with her hands, one of the nurses, and they put it directly over her on top of her belly. And she screamed out, it burns, it burns, one of the great signs that true rapid Miraculous healing is taking place, kind of like repairing hundred thousands of errors, of injuries, of mutations inside each cell of the seventy-five trillion human cells in the body, all at once. Boom! Burn! 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 And then everyone freaked out. This is recorded now in the hand of the in, uh, in a journal that Alexis Carrel was writing in the midst of three other physicians with four other nurses, all watching. And she said, please, more, more. And they put subsequent water on top of her belly, and it put her into profound gratitude, into profound peace, into profound bliss. So the sensations of bliss, or what can be intensified to rapture, was one of the consistent, direct experiences of miraculous healing that will reproduce throughout the ages. The second one, profound gratitude that all of these long-living cultures at their dinner tables share at each and every meal. They're so profoundly grateful to the earth and to the Creator and to everyone in their family for being alive in, this, in, their, uh, in their living environment. And then the, the, the next experience that's reproducible is tranquility. Immediately after the bliss, immediately after the crying, the catharsis of profound gratitude, of profound sympathetic joy, there's this incredible peace that happens, tranquility that happens, and that's universal. And then finally, there's this exquisite direct attunement with love and the compassion of the Creator that fills the body with certainty, the compassion that God loves me because I have just been made whole through this attunement process. Those are the four consistent sensations, not something we can see, not something we can hear. It's heartfelt. It's body felt. It's a chill that runs throughout the entire body, And that's something that I studied at great length. And what I've discovered is, is that for reasons that we're going to run out of time today here, perhaps we could come back and talk about this, at each cell level, we have three components that, from a scientific point of view, is what we specifically have to regenerate. It's the proper minerals that normally comes from the glacial milk each season, each thawing of the spring, that goes into the cells of the body into the cells of the plants that grow, into the animals that eat the plants, and then into the human beings that eat the uh, animal products or the plant materials that is uh, laced with energy. Second thing is the water itself. It's highly structured, and it's able to hold memory. And third is a unique kind of protein that comes from embryonic foods only. And these three things form the resonance, the frequency, the vibratory oscillations of life that conduct life at the body temperatures that otherwise would require much greater temperatures in order to achieve the same amount of chemistry that causes us to live. It's called colloidal chemistry, as opposed to all the chemistry that we use to figure out conventional medicine. Conventional medicine does not use, or extremely rarely does it use, the actual chemistry of life, to be able to figure out what to do about healing someone who's ill that's the problem they've got the wrong chemistry and i was guilty of that for years until i figured this out and it's and it's you know it's now it's it's it's, it's pretty you know obvious to me why why don't we why don't we see this in in a nutshell what i want to say is is that we know where the brain is in the human body we know where the nervous system is in the human body but does science know where the mind is in the human body? No, it doesn't. I claim well, to know that, kids. not because I'm so, some sort of smart guy, but because of the science that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that are huge in these fields that are, I'm just a little tip squeak in. And they have shown that the water, in my uh, conclusion, is where the mind resides. So when we change the water out daily, within the confines of our body, literally the water, where the pollution winds up building up, where the proper information winds up getting stored, where the tension and knots of information also get stored, when we clear that out each day, that is the bottom line of how the longest-lived cultures accomplish each and every day of their lives. That's what they do, and that's what we have to do.
0: So, gosh, I don't even know where to go. It's so exciting and I know that when I had found your information, your website, you know, I've been studying health for over 27, 28 years now and so much of what you're talking about is, you know, my journey of health and, and the research and everything that I've learned has brought me to, to know that what you're saying is so true. It's just absolutely right on. When you think about you know, just think about your water. Your body is comprised of seventy, eighty percent water, especially when you're younger. Right? As we age and we become more dehydrated, it's the percentage of of our body being water is less. But I think it all begins with water, and then from there, what you're saying with the food and the gratitude and being in a state of gratitude and being in a in a state of tranquility. You know, the healing, the miracles that you were you were talking about. It just goes, it just makes so much sense. I do have a question regarding the healing. In order for the healing to take place in what you've researched, did the, did the person who experienced the healing have to believe, have faith that it was going to happen? Like the, the girl at Lourdes, right? With the water, did she have faith that it was going to work, that she was going to be healed, or is that not a factor?
1: Well it's a good question I, I honestly I don't know. I can tell you that there are examples of both, but there is a process that has to happen in, in my view, in my opinion, that uh, a person could find themselves automatically doing, even if they have prior that they've made prior claims that they're agnostic or they're atheistic. The process is the ability to experience reality as it truly is. I mean, you know, what good is the system of belief that worships a supreme deity if the purpose or the practice of worshiping the supreme deity has nothing to do with the actual attuning process that grants us access to the Supreme Being. In other words, all of the praises and the, and the desires of asking for this and asking for that to build up the ego of the Supreme Being, is that really a religious practice that we should, you know, count as being the way that we worship the Supreme Being? What about these longest-lived individuals? Whenever in my life that I was confused about, what's the best diet? What's the best nutritional science? What's the best psychology? What's the best this and what's the best that? I always returned to the true expert. Science is based upon using the correct reference point, the proper optimal standard to compare what it is that you're investigating. If you're investigating the science of vaccinations, and you're comparing it to kids in college that really aren't very healthy, but you think they are, in comparison to the long-living, which are really super-duper healthy in comparison, you're already sabotaging the process by which you're going to to discover useful science. So if you look at the way in which that worship is conducted by the long-living, some are Christian, some are Muslim, some are Buddhist, so on and so forth. You find that there's also a universal pattern there. It oozes outward of of uh, supreme love and compassion for everyone in their immediate family and their immediate neighborhood. It emulates the traits of God. After all, what is God? God is at least two different sides to a coin. It, It's the practice of pristine moral conduct—that's God Almighty—the practice of pristine moral conduct, never doing anyone any harm, never doing ourselves any harm, always doing good to ourselves, and always doing good to others. That's pristine universal moral conduct. The second thing is that it is the practice of serving others— to the extent of one's own resources, with that merit behind it. In other words, the motive is pure. I'm not expecting anything in return, which is true love. True love isn't, oh, listen, God, would you please give me good health? Oh, listen, God, would you please give me some money? Oh, listen, God, would you please make my son healthy? Please give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. No, it has nothing to do with that. That's catharsis, uh, cathectis, cathexis. excuse me. We cathect. We human beings stay in cathexis with our marriages, in cathexis with our material wants and desires. It's everything about me, 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 please give me, give me, give me. It's conditional. I will love you, my soulmate, if you are a certain way to me. The moment that you're not, it's divorce still. The same way we entertain our religious structures. As long as God Almighty provides for me the way I think that God Almighty shall provide, I shall worship the Supreme Being. But the moment that we see, like, uh, one catastrophe in life after another, many, many in, our, in the past have blamed God. They turn against God. They go atheist. They go agnostic at, 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 uh, in, in numbers, in droves. It, it turns them against God. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do. We've created most of our own difficulties. In the religions, we talk about that we are created in the image of God, but I see there is far too much of we create the image of God the way we want, in our own image. So when we look at the long-living, they don't do that. They emulate a palpable facilitation at all points in time with their relations around them, with the earth, with the animals, their proper stewards with the people, with their neighbors, that oozes with this supreme love that can only come from the Creator. They know the supreme creator. They know that they have to do their role, their part of things. And it's that kind of collision of, aha, that they get it, that they share down the pipeline or the long family tree, so that these people really know how to maintain this regenerative lifestyle. They're not stepping out of the Garden of Eden. They don't, they don't make the mistake of original sin, as uh, in the Judeo-Christian background, where we have this confusion about, well, what really happened? How could Adam and Eve have stepped out of this glory? It's not explained to us. But these long-living people, they don't step out of the Garden of Eden. They do their part to maintain it, because we do have free agency. Now, we can get into this in subsequent uh, shows, because it's a long deal. I usually spend an entire weekend, eight hours and eight hours, explaining this to people, because it's a hard concept. But we have two aspects to spiritual path, to spiritual practice, in my view. The one is, is that there is a supreme being, and we're just not paying attention to it properly, and it has to do with direct communion, a direct atonement at one moment, to the experience of the Supreme Being, is what we were sharing about miraculous healing. Everybody around that person who's undergoing miraculous healing is crying. Everyone is in, oh, I want everyone I know to be able to experience this. This is the Lord's grace. Everybody should experience this. Of course, that's true. That's universal. That happens all the time. But the other part is our free agency. We're not robotons. We're given that if we want to violate the rules of the game, we can go ahead and do so. That's what we do to ourselves. That's the way we sabotage ourselves. So unlike what you said earlier, I think it's an 80-20 game. I think that 80% of the reasons why things are so messed up here with our own bodies, there's nobody healthy in America. We all have cavities. We all have eye difficulties to start out with, just about. there's very, very few that don't. The U.S. Public Health Department declared this in 1975 that there 's only 1.5 percent of the American public healthy, meaning no cavities, no eye problems and no any other kinds of problems. yet the long living don 't have cavities. they don 't have eye difficulties, they don 't have arthritis, they don 't have heart disease, they don 't have cancer. They all do it in perfect health. Now, not us. we 're all sick here, basically in America. So we're not doing our part, and it's about an 80-20 relationship with our own mind being narcissistic and putting God's image as if it was us, rather than, the other way around, learning how to properly attune ourselves by diminishing our ego, starting with the practice of pristine moral conduct. Because, you know, that's how we get greedy. That's how we exercise it. That's how we start off doing all the wrong things, is by me, 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 I, 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 we have to properly learn how to, how to diminish our egos by this attunement process with the Creator in order to fully see and realize and feel the nature and the, and the, and the supremeness of the, of the Creator of all things.
0: And it's interesting how what you're saying is really a universal theme among the world's major religions right? And so it's, there's got to be truth there. And I've often said that the Western style of Christianity really is only true for us Westerners, right? Take, take our style of Christianity into other areas of the world, and they could not for a moment relate to it. Absolutely, could yes. not relate to our form of Christianity from, from the sense of our Western way of Christianity, praying for material things and for prosperity and for abundance. Our definition of those words is very, very different than other cultures.
1: Yes, it's selfish so, desires is what gets in our way. That's right. Yeah.
0: Right. So it's, it's very different. Yeah. And the love that you're speaking of, I think, is referred to as agape love, right? God love. And, love and your neighbor sorry. as and God sorry. would yeah. love yep. your neighbor, not the way I think you would necessarily love your neighbor. Because how do we That's know true. how to love our neighbor here in America? It's very conditional.
1: Yes. I, I think it is in the Bible. I think it is in the Judeo-Christian heritage. But it has to be carefully sorted out because, you know, we we do look through the glasses of narcissism to interpret the Bible or to interpret the Old Testament. What we have to do is to realize we have two components to our mind. Very simple. We have the component of our mind that bases reality on objects. I can hear your voice, Teresa. I can see your picture, Teresa. I can maybe, perhaps, when I meet you, shake your hand There are things with food that we smell and we taste. Those are sense door objects that tell us what reality is, and then we think. We dream about those things. But there's another component that is more to what I spoke of in terms of miraculous healing and what I consider to be the true atoning process, attuning process to God Almighty, and that is the part within us that feels sensations as they truly are. And that we do that with calmness, whether it's tough times, or with, like Job, or whether it's good times, that we calmly experience those things so we can generate ahas and wisdoms and insights that are not object-based. And that's how we feel the love of God, the agape, as you mentioned. We, we, it fills our body up. Oh yes, I've done it. I can now say that I can replicate the exact practice that anytime I want to, I can attune to the heart and mind and love of God. That's what these long-living cultures do <laughs> every day. Mm. We've lost that because we're too materialistic, object-based. I need money. I need this. I need that. I want this. It's all objects, all objects. All, it's not sensation-based at all. And this is the, probably the most important part of our mind that brings us wisdom that we completely remain ignorant to, in the West.
0: Fascinating. Well, we have really only touched the, the, <laughs> the top of what we were going to talk about today, but it certainly has been fascinating. Your website, Dr. Apsley, A P S L E Y, D R A P S L E Y dot com, and uh, any other sources that you would refer our audience to to check your information out?
1: Sure. On that homepage that you just gave out, uh, there is a sub-tab for newsletters. And um, my next newsletter is coming up on vaccinations. And uh, people can just click on them when they're, when I post, and they'll be able to download the newsletter and read all they like.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, Doctor, we will certainly have you on again on Living Wealthy Radio because, again, we barely touched the surface of what we wanted to talk about. You've given us a different way of looking at disease, at illness, at health, how we can regenerate our bodies, you know, by following the customs of these 30 cultures that you've studied around the world. Your your books and other resources, that's also on your website? And we will also link your website on Living Wealthy Radio along with a recording of today's show. And thank you again for coming on Living Wealthy Radio and sharing this great information with our audience. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.
1: This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The info being presented does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation and does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor or legal counsel or other professional, and you should not use the information in place of a personal consultation regarding your specific situation or needs prior to taking any action based on this information. We believe the info provided is reliable. But we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.